Hi, I'm Amanda. I really like baking cherry pies. Hi, I'm Ryan. I really like Final Fantasy video games. And we're going to talk about screwball comedy. And Robot Man. Yay. On your Facebook, your profile says to ask you about a serial heist. So why don't you tell a story about a serial heist? The uh, corn pops heist. That's what it says. I think. Yes. Well, that's not actually my, but it is a story. John C. Riley stole 500 boxes of sugar corn pops from a train, and then he he did this with his friends. They filled one of the kids' basements completely with boxes of cereal, and would have cereal parties. They would meet and sit around and just eat bowls of cereal one after another. But they did not steal any milk to go with the cereal. No. Maybe they used all their lunch money and just bought milk constantly. They might have, might, maybe, like, why are maybe you going through so sold, much milk? Maybe they sold some of the excess boxes. I mean, 500 is a lot of boxes of cereal, so I'd be like, hey, for a dollar, you can have a box of corn pops. And then with that dollar, you can probably buy a gallon of milk. I don't know. Not sure on the they price of the bag. They sold it for more than they cost. Like, uh, another story, my grandpa, when he was a kid, would buy a carton of cigarettes and then sell each cigarette for 50 cents. That's that's got to be quite a, a profit margin right there. Yeah, maybe they sold each corn pop for 50 cents. <laughs> I, I hope nobody is paying 50 cents for one corn pop, much less an entire bowl of them. Although I'm not a fan of those too much. I feel like they always taste stale. I, I've, as far as I know, I've never had a fresh one, but personally, I like the Golden Grams and the Frosted Mini Wheats, and also Life Cereal, which I always get a hard time over, but it's, it's some good stuff, and if it's good enough for Mikey, it's good enough for me. My favorite cereal is Quaker Oatmeal Squares. I had a box of those the other day. Well, not, not at one sitting, but I did have a box. What is one of your favorite genres of film? I would say my favorite genre. Well, tie between two genres that are completely different, horror and screwball comedy. Last night, I watched a screwball comedy. This film is 88 minutes long. The Palm Beach Story. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. Well, I think it is wonderful film and how crazy it is. Well, I will have to check that out. Um, on Screwball Comedy, I heard much like Willem Dafoe, you're something of a screwball comedy expert yourself. 
And uh, is that true? Maybe a little bit. I wrote an article on Screwball Comedy that if you search for the if you search for the genre, is the third result. I that's kind of impressive. I'm not really sure if my opinions on screwball comedy so far are that different than other things I've read, but I think it's an interesting genre to look at. It's interesting to see how different it is at the time from the growing romantic comedies. Like I would never consider Adam's Rib a screwball comedy because it is... It's a film where the romance is taken more seriously and you get more of a sense of the dramatic elements of their relationship. A screwball comedy about a com a screwball comedy of remarriage would have characters kind of doing ridiculous things and you wouldn't think they would end up together at the end and then they do. It's a little different of a theme. It's different style than a more traditional romantic comedy. Now I think the two genres kind of are falling back together. You get some straight comedy with just a little bit of romance, and that seems closer to a screwball, but not the same. Uh, backtracking real quick, would you like to tell us what is a screwball comedy and how they came about? A screwball comedy, say 1930s to 1940s American comedy that was sort of came about from the motion picture production code. There are so many limitations about what could ha what could be done in a film these comedies kind of developed because they had to beat around everything and create innuendos to serve all of the more sexual elements of the film. And they're also dealing with social class differences and econo social economic class differences and battle of the sexes themes. A lot of screwball comedies, the woman is in more power than the man. Palm Beach Story, the whole concept of that film is a woman right at, sort of right at the beginning of the film, even though she still loves her husband, tells him that they're going to get a divorce. And then she's just like, see ya. Would you say that these were somewhat ahead of their time for the era? in terms of women's rights, being a woman yourself, or empowerment, not necessarily rights as well. But. A little bit, but they only sort of touch on it in the idea that a lot of times the characters, uh, not in Palm Beach Story, but in most of them, the characters that are in power are the characters who have more money. So a lot of times you'd have maybe a poor guy and he meets the rich lady. It's So this time the the man is the gold digger. Yeah. 
of sorts. I think what works a lot with like the ones that stand out with like the Lady Eve, that film kind of takes that concept and makes fun of it, even in the time period these films were being made. He, uh, the man is rich and the woman is a con artist, but then it flips a little bit later where the woman is pretending to be rich to, to get into the same kind of social level as this man. And he never realizes that this is the same person. He fell in love with the same person two times. And he's... He doesn't recognize her? No. He gets married to her twice. There must be some good makeup job or either a very forgetful man. He's just so blinded by love that he doesn't want to recognize because she was a con artist that was trying to steal from him. So when he meets her again as this rich lady, it's like, oh, you think he probably knows, but he's just, he doesn't want to know. Yeah. Um, for our audience, what could you recommend say two or three screwball comedies that you believe everybody should watch and would most likely enjoy? I will recommend other than the ones I've mentioned already, Wall of Fire and Sullivan's Travels. I think Sullivan's Travels okay. is a little bit different, uh, but um, it's still a screwball and there's still the romance and the differences in class even if the focus of the film is more on depicting and being a sort of a satire on the entertainment industry of that time period. Do you know if any of these films that we've been discussing are available for streaming with or without a fee? I can in a second. You don't know. Uh, you're going to do a look. You're going to do a search for us. Well, both of the films I mentioned are Criterion, so possibly. Criterion does currently run its own streaming app, I believe. Yes, there's just nothing coming up for the film I'm searching in terms of a place to watch it. Ball of Fire. Speak. Speaking of streaming, HBO Max launched officially today. And they have Criterion. Is it connected the entire service or is it just a small part of it? A, a great movie channel, Turner Classic Movies. And not all of them are there on the Turner category. I, I kind of wish Criterion had their own subsection, much like DC and Crunchyroll and there's a few others in there. I haven't really explored it too much other than I added approximately 75 films and or TV shows today, including the upcoming Doom Patrol season two, which uh, was a very fun and probably one of my favorite series to date based on a 60s DC comics that was often 
compared to the X-Men in that they were a team of outcasts and freaks. And the TV show adapts the 1980s to 90s arcs by the comic book writer Grant Morrison, who really kicked up the weird about five or six notches above the old weird stuff. And it was weird then. But uh, he really took it and ran with it. And both the show and the comic are worth a read and a watch. I have also watched this show. And, I've not read as much. Yeah. Uh, but I... Have you, have you read any Doom Patrol? Yes, I've read some of the newer Doom Patrol. That would be Gerard yes. Way of My Chemical Romance series. Yes, I've read the first volume. Which is a pretty spiritual successor to the Grant Morrison run. Uh, do you have a favorite character on Doom Patrol, the TV series? I think every character offers something interesting and has unique stories and performances are great all across the board. I'm not sure if there's one character that I like more. I appreciate that it's in many ways the return of a very early in my childhood action star Brendan Frazier who all but disappeared a, around what a decade or two ago yeah. probably about 15 12 years something like that sadness and uh even, to that yeah that's a that's a almost that's a very heartbreaking story in that basically starring in so many action movies kind of broke him physically and it really seems like mentally too for a while and it's good to see him returning to a series as the human face of the Doom Patrol character, Robot Man. And, and he plays the voice, yes. And yeah. for me, personally, I feel like there are, maybe not intentional, but things in Doom Patrol that remind me of his work. Like this... Uh, I don't know, the entire concept of some of his films where he was coming from one time period and being put into another or coming from one way of life and being injected in somewhere else like Blast from the Past and Dino Man. Like that is sort of the spirit of his character in, in Doom Patrol. That's a pretty interesting observation. And I got to say it. It seems like a pretty correct one. And as far as his roles go, he seems to play a, a lot of almost time-lost characters or even in period pieces like the Mummy series, even though that came out in the 90s, it's still based, you know, 40, 50 It was years interesting before. that when they made that, they based it in the time when the original film was released. Yeah. Which gives you a chance to like observe, a chance to follow the aesthetics of that time period. So you can kind of 
capture what might be nostalgic while making something more modern. And surprisingly, some of the CGI has held up very well. I watched it a couple of years ago, and I was kind of blown away at how, sure, it's CGI, but at the same time, I've seen CGI that came out in the last two years, looking at you, MCU, Marvel, that uh, has not aged it well at all in a matter of months, really. I mean, there was some CGI in a trailer for a Marvel film that just confused me. That would be the de-aging of an actor to an image that does not look anything like the actor at the time period in which they're being aged down to. Uh, Which movie would this be? It has not released yet. So I don't know what the actual final result will look like. But when you're so used to someone's face, oh. like I am with a 1980s William Hurt, seeing his de-aged face in the trailer excited me for the time. And it also perplexed me because I just did not recognize who that was on screen. I did, but... It did not look like what I think of as 1980s William Hurt. I know that you are a prolific William Hurt fan who has who enjoys many, many, many of his films. And uh, I believe we could save that story for our next episode because we're at coming up on the half an hour mark. And uh, I think we should keep this these podcasts to around half an hour for entertainment purposes. Yes, that sounds like a good idea. But it was a pleasure having you here. And uh, I enjoyed working with you today. And let's see where this thing goes in the future. Thank you. All right. Goodbye, Amanda. Goodbye, audience. Toodles.